0: Hello, I'm Lionel Snell, and on behalf of the Business Innovation Leaders Forum, I'm interviewing Dr. Christian Bush about his book, The Serendipity Mindset, subtitled The Art and Science of Creating Good Luck. Dr. Bush teaches at New York University and the London School of Economics. He's a member of the World Economic Forum's Expert Forum, a Fellow of the Royal Society of Arts, and a frequent speaker at conferences such as WEF, TEDx, and the Financial Times Sustainability Summit. I can say a lot more about these academic achievements, but in this interview, I'll be focusing on the ongoing practical applications of his work. For example, Christian is co-founder of Sandbox Network, a community of young innovators across over 20 countries. Also, Leaders on Purpose, an organization convening high impact leaders. But first Christian, what is serendipity is it just a smart word for luck
1: yeah well thanks so much for having me Lyle it's a pleasure to be here and uh, yeah well I mean serendipity is exciting right because if we think about luck we think about something that just happens to us right so uh, being born into good family things like that but actually serendipity is, is that smart luck that we create ourselves right and so you know give you an example take a serendipitous discovery. Uh, one of my favorites is the potato washing machine. Uh, so, so essentially a couple of years ago, a company I've been working with in China, uh, they do washing machines, refrigerators, uh, are one of the biggest uh, appliances companies in the world. And they re- receive calls from farmers who use their washing machine. And they said, well, your crappy washing is always breaking down. Well, why is it breaking down? Well, we're trying to wash our potatoes in it and it doesn't seem to work. So." what would we usually do when something unexpected like this happens? We'll probably say, well, it's not made for potatoes. Don't wash them in there, right? It's a washing machine for, for clothes. They did the opposite. They said, you know what? That's unexpected, but there's probably a lot of farmers in China who might have a similar problem. So why don't we build in a dirt filter and make it a potato washing machine? And that's how serendipitously the potato washing machine emerged. It's those kind of things where, when we look at up to 50% of innovations and inventions, when we look at how we found love, when we look at how you know we maybe found our new job, a lot of times we might think, oh, it was lucky that I met this person at this time, or that I had this encounter, whatever it is. Yeah, but also maybe there was a bit more agency to it than, than we thought. And so that's what I'm really excited about. How can we see serendipity not as an event that just happens to us, but as a process of spotting and connecting dots which makes it actionable. Then we can learn how to create more dots and how to connect them better.
0: Yes, that's um, these examples actually are very useful. So I wonder if you could give just one or two other of these real life examples, of other people's use of serendipity.
1: Well, I mean, recently now with, with COVID, right? We saw, for example, breweries who traditionally had restaurants as customers and those mm. restaurants had to close down. And so they realized, oh, wow, hey, maybe we can use our alcohol to produce hand sanitizer. And so unexpectedly, they became hand sanitizer companies. Or you had fashion companies who realized, oh my God, we can produce fashionable masks and be part of the government's kind of, you know, effort to, to mask as, as many people as we can. And, mm. and but, but, you know, I'm also very excited, Lionel. I think the application in, in our personal lives, right? When you think about... Uh, being at a conference or in a coffee shop and imagine if you have erratic hand movements like I do imagine you you spill coffee over someone and Mm -hmm. you know that person looks at you slightly annoyed but you sense something there you sense there might be something you don't know what it is you just sense there might be something there now you have two options right option number one is you just say I'm so sorry here's a napkin you walk outside and you think ah what could have happened option number Mm -hmm. two is you start a conversation that person becomes the love of your life your co-founder, your next client. (laughs) The point is our reaction to the unexpected, how we Mm. made the accident meaningful, then Mm. shapes the ultimate outcome. And that's really what serendipity is about. It's about making accidents meaningful. And as we'll talk about later, we can also create more meaningful accidents.
0: Yes. Yes, because your book is obviously more than just an explanation of serendipity. It's also about how to cultivate it to improve your success. I mentioned the Sandbox Network. Could you tell us about some of these sort of ongoing projects that you have been involved with?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Sandbox Network was something we set up uh, around uh, 13 years ago, where it was essentially saying people in different fields are usually connected in their own fields. But mindset-wise, they're closer to people in other fields. So how about you bring the craziest people from different fields who are pushing boundaries, put them together, create a community around them, and help them make stuff happen? And what was fascinating during that time was that serendipity popped up everywhere you would go to a dinner and it would people would say oh my god such a coincidence such a coincidence such a coincidence such a coincidence and mm. i got really excited about that idea of wow can you accelerate this is there a way to accelerate those kind of positive coincidences and so that really kind of like was one of the initial starting points of saying are there ways we can bring people together in ways that actually shape those kind of positive coincidences for them and then for their organizations and so sandbox was really more about kind of developing community for young people leaders on Mm -hmm. purpose was more about saying how do we now work with purpose-driven leaders of large companies that really shape the world and also kind of shape community around them create content around it and so on and and make that happen and now the global economy um uh, program that I'm I'm running at NYU is is a lot around saying how do we bring all of this together and say what is the cutting-edge content we have around purpose-driven leadership around how we can create organizations that do well and good and are fit for the future. But also then, how do we develop the related mindset? What is the kind of mindset we need to really instill in our students, but also in our partner organizations and others that want to really be fit for the future? Mm.
0: Yes, I read several reviews of your book, and I noticed that quite a few of the readers insisted this is an important book for now. Let me tell you why I agree with that. The fifties was an age of control thinking factory farming was to be the future the computer be the means to control everything by the end of the century, a handful of vitamin pills was that was needed to keep us alive. Now the hippie movement was a reaction to all that control, I remember a major exhibition in swinging London called cybernetic serendipity it brought together artists computers and randomness to create a new type of art and music. There was a 1970 novel, The Dice Man, about a man who lived his life for the toss of a die. My wife remembers going on holidays where you threw a series of dice to choose the airline, the destination, the flight, the hotel, and so on. A total invocation of serendipity and a lot of fun. Well, the beginning of this century has seen another age of control. Genetics had people talking about designer babies, about special childcare techniques to create geniuses and how the internet could manipulate society. So, are we facing a similar revolution across the world? I think people are crying out for serendipity and your book points the way. Isn't this just what the world needs right now?
1: You know what's fascinating about this? And I love the story, by the way, because uh, I think it's, it's a beautiful narration, right? Of, of those different shifts and in, in how people perceive the world and, and what's important. Um, and, and also how, you know, almost in a Hegelian way, there's always something like a thesis and then an antithesis, and then there's the friction between the two. And then that's where mm-hmm. innovation happens and that friction, right? And that's where new thinking emerges. Um, and, and what I find fascinating is, you know, I do a lot of work with um, very senior executive teams. And it, what's fascinating is usually as a CEO or as a, as a kind of leader, I want to go into a room and I want to portray control. Right? I don't want to portray the idea. I have everything I'm under control. I know everything. And... I have a plan and then this is how the plan works now when you now work on this and what I found fascinating is that when people articulate what really happens right how. Uh, at MasterCard you would have a vision of bringing hundreds of millions of people into the financial system and having an approximate strategy, but then actually an interaction with someone in a local context would help to redefine the strategy and mm-hmm. seeing that that actually is part of a very healthy corporate culture that allows for those ideas to emerge and to be become part of the plan, then it's fascinating that we see that reframing away from, oh my God, the unexpected is a threat. It's something that threatens my authority as a leader. It's something that threatens our plan to becoming part of the plan. And I think that's what, what purpose-driven leaders do extremely well. We did a study with, with over 40 as CEOs, for example, of, of top companies mm-hmm. who did really well in different areas. And One of the things they have in common is they're really good at doing what Ajay Banga used to do at at MasterCard, which is giving a certain sense of direction, saying, this is where we're going approximately, right? We want to bring X, Y, Z people into the financial system, you name it. Here's an approximate strategy. But I'm already telling you now that we will adjust that strategy based on new insights and information that comes in. And that is then where people realize once they start talking about it, they're like, oh, my God, I just realized I'm cultivating serendipity. Because what I'm doing here is I'm not leaving it to randomness only. I'm not leaving it to anarchy and chaos. Mm. I'm actually giving people a sense of direction, but also the realism that we cannot know everything in advance. And Lionel, Mm. where I found that fascinating, that kind of shift in mindset portrayed is when it came to COVID happening, right? What happened Mm. in those different states in the US is you would have some kind of old school mindset governors who would say, we have to close down the state. Here's the exact timeline, and this is exactly the time we will open up again, which is setting Mm -hmm. them up for failure, right? Because who knows what kind of information emerges that will need them to revise the timeline. So now Mm -hmm. they have two incentives, right? Incentive number one is trying to hide new data and new clusters so that they don't have to revise their timeline, or they have to revise the timeline, and they look like a weak leader. The new type uh, uh, leadership style says we have two priorities here, public health and, and economic health here's an approximate timeline, but we're already telling you now that we will revise that timeline based on new information, and that is part of our plan. And when you do this, now when you adjust the timeline, people will be like, oh yeah, it's a strong leader, because they told us from the beginning they would do that, and they are responsible in doing that. And so I think that's the shift uh, to your point, where Mm -hmm. when we let go of that sense of control, this illusion of control, and adjust Mm -hmm. to that idea of the unexpected will happen, and we make it part of the plan. That's what the real leadership comes. That is genuine, but also that people actually buy into. Versus where they're like, "Yeah, I don't really trust it." Hmm.
0: Yeah. Yes,
1: I. Uh, you mentioned in
0: the book um, combinatorial chemistry as a discipline where manufacturing coincidences are at its very heart. What do you think of someone stuck in a complex personal dilemma who creates randomness? by shuffling a tarot pack to get a fresh perspective on the situation.
1: Well, I'm always a big fan, you know, I think at the end of the day, and one of the pleasures of writing this book on, 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 on Serendipity Mindset was to see how many different areas, right? You mm. mentioned uh, combinatorial chemistry, um, we can mm. talk about physics and, 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 you know, how energy like, like kind of travels and how, how that manufactures. Um, we can talk about how the social sciences have thought about it. Um, we can think about how lateral thinking has emerged, like all these different things are always about the same thing, saying, if we can find a way that allows us to accelerate meaningful interactions in a way that then kind of like brings a purposeful outcome, then actually mm. we can set ourselves up for more serendipity. And so I'm a big fan, you know, to make that more, um, more tangible, Of, uh, for example, random coffee trials. So random coffee trials is the idea that usually in organizations, um, mm. you know, pre-COVID, we had a lot of water cooler moments right these moments where you run into someone at the water cooler in the in the oh, yeah. cafe and mm. you run into the boss of your boss and they tell you about the new opportunity and that's how you get your new job or the new project emerges unexpectedly and things like that and that a lot of times gives us a lot of meaning because it's kind of like oh my god like my life could change with different types of unexpected things happening um, throughout the day now with COVID, where everyone went into you know the home office we've been taking this away from people and so Mm. what i've been fascinated by is what is the virtual equivalent of this how can we do the virtual combinatorial chemistry um, thing here and so Mm. what the random coffee trial is about is to say everyone within an organization gives us a couple of times they are free like half an hour slots and then we Mm. randomly match people across different hierarchy levels and across different departments and they go Mm. for a quick coffee and we give them an inspirational prompt right What's the key challenge in the organization you're facing and how can I help you? Or what can we do together? Whatever. It doesn't matter what the prompt is. What matters Mm -hmm. is that now, especially when I'm a junior person, I know I could be matched with the boss of my boss next week. And so I feel, oh my God, even if I'm a bit bored in what I'm doing, I feel like there's a renewed sense of reconnecting with the organization, reconnecting with its Mm -hmm. culture. But also, again, serendipity actually starts to happen much more often Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: you're inviting it in, aren't you?
1: Yeah, Um, but there is
0: something that concerns me, rather. Among your many inspiring examples was one about Cape Town Flats, where I'll quote, it said, former drug addicts and dealers became useful members of the community by telling their stories of hope and recovery and teaching others. Now, I love that, but I'm also aware that the Cape Flats, not so far from where I live, is still torn by drug dealing and gang warfare. So what is it we're up against? I'm not asking about the resistance against starting these projects. It's understandable, people are timid, they don't want to change. But once you start showing real results, why doesn't it just spread like wildfire? Can it be hard to keep up momentum on your projects? Do they need fresh injections of energy to keep them going? Why don't they just keep growing?
1: It's a great question. I think. A lot of it is around this kind of old school mindset that is still in government and and large organizations which is a lot Mm -hmm. about if you have a tough situation or context let's work on resourcing in some way right let's try to kind of give people better food better education in some way whatever it is but Mm. you're not really empowering people by doing this you're not really Mm -hmm. allowing people to create their own luck and so what you're Mm -hmm. doing is you're systemically keeping people down but actually mm. those kind of approaches um, you know you mentioned that example so a lot of my work is in in sub-saharan africa um, where in the cape flats in cape town um, I've, I've spent a lot of time in that organization reconstructed living labs which is an organization that has low-cost education methodology you know things like 10 steps to use social media to build your business and so they take that methodology and they go into different other local communities that are similarly resource constrained And instead of asking what do you need, they ask what is already here and how can we make the best out of it. And what you're doing here with that kind of mindset is you get away from the need focus on, Mm -hmm. oh, my God, this is a victim that needs help. And like someone who's who's disenfranchised, you're going Mm -hmm. and saying, no, no, no. What is your capability here and how can we work together and do something to that? And so then they look at a former drug dealer and they see a potential teacher they look at an old garage, they see a potential training center. And so what it does really is it reframes situations away from resource constraints to resource abundance. And I think you know, mm. the, the application here to large organizations really is to say the natural reaction in an organization when there's a resource constraint is to fire people, to, to shut down an office and so on, right? If you're a bank and you know yeah. you have an ATM machine, now you let the, te- the, the, the cashier go, right? Versus mm. the, the R-Labs approach, is to say, no, no, no. Let's look at our resources differently. Let's think about this cashier. They have amazing financial skills now. So could they be a financial trainer? And could we use the old office to be a training center? Just as an example, to say that in a way, it makes us rethink, it makes us see new opportunities. And I always love their budgeting model. They have this budgeting model where they say, hey, if you want a budget, if you want 50 chairs for this and this event, here's three questions. Question number one, do you really need these chairs or can people stand? Is that not better anyways? If mm-hmm. you really need them, does someone around here have them? The restaurant that's closed at the same time when you have your event, can't you just take their chairs? And if you really need them, like what kind of chairs, whatever it is. The point here is it gets people to think differently about resources mm-hmm. away from, I need this from you now to, yes. how could we think about the situation differently and make the best out of it? And that's where serendipity happens again in the process. Yeah. To your point, the widespread education comes from, multipliers taking this on and doing more of it, but then you have mm-hmm. all these structural constraints that in a way um, keep yeah. them from, from doing more.
0: Yes, because uh, of course, one of the um, examples of that old mindset is in the bureaucracy. And you know, once something begins to actually do something and produce results, then people say, well, oh, hang on, are they paying tax? You know, have they filled in their forms as business <laughs> and things like that? And then sort of down comes the weight of all that stuff. Yeah. Now, I'd like to turn back from society to your individual readers. Your book has got, at the end of chapters, exercises to open yourself up to serendipity. Now, I'm too old to start changing my life big time, but I did take your book's serendipity mindset test and I scored 120. Am I doing okay?
1: I, I think you can be proud of yourself. And, and <laughs> you know, it's interesting, Lionel, I think you're, you're hitting on a really good point there, right? Which is This is not about going in and saying, I have to change everything what I'm doing. This is Mm. about small behavioral changes. It's about saying, can I ask slightly differently questions? Instead of asking someone, what do you do? Can I ask, you know, what do you enjoy doing? Or, you know, that Mm. opens people up to potentiality. Or I'm a big fan, actually. One of my favorite uh, tactics is the hook strategy. And the hook strategy is essentially about saying, how do you bring interesting talking points or interesting like things into a conversation, just seed them and then see how the other person reacts. So, you know, to make it concrete, there's this technology entrepreneur in London, Olly Barrett. And if you would ask Olly, what do you do? You know, the dreaded question that everyone asks us at a conference or wherever we go, he wouldn't just say, I'm a technology entrepreneur. He would say, I'm a technology entrepreneur, recently started reading into the philosophy of science. But what I'm really excited about is playing the piano. And so what Mm -hmm. that does is now you could be like, oh my God, such a coincidence, I've been hosting Piano Martinez, you should come by. Oh my God, such Mm -hmm. a coincidence, my sister is teaching on the philosophy of science, you should give a guest lecture. The Mm -hmm. point is we can see these couple of things where other people can connect the dots for us. And so Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of doing a serendipity journal where you just write down, what are the key areas of interests I have at the moment? And how Mm -hmm. do I, just in a side note, you know, when I, for example, go into a new meeting, Um, depending on what I do around the serendipity mindset, which is my core focus at the moment, I'm trying to bring in to say, hey, I'm so sorry, I just came from X for Z meeting. We're talking about curricula around serendipity mindset, but now I'm really here and I'm so excited. And so the point is, I just seeded this notion where a lot of times people go, oh my God, I didn't even know you want this in curricula. My uncle is running a school, I should put you in touch. You know, it's these kind of things where you're just seeding these small things and then you let people pick up the things they're really interested in. And in organizational context, that's how a lot of times client leads emerge, right? You, you, you allow a little bit more information to then have people connect the dots and get a new client.
0: Mm. When you were saying that, I couldn't help thinking about Joseph Campbell's famous saying, follow your bliss. <laughs> That's part of it. Sure. <laughs> um, now I, I, I thought when I was doing the, the mindset uh, test that I was going to be a really high scorer until I came across your later questions, which were more about sort of boldness and chutzpah. If I was lucky enough to pick up Elon Musk's wallet in the street, I could see loads of opportunities. But I'd probably be too shy to say, "Hey, Elon, you owe me one." Might that suggest that serendipity is more an opportunity for extroverts to strut their stuff? How can less outgoing types benefit from this? Any ideas?
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, I think there's there's three things to that. One is I'm a closet introvert, right? So I'm the kind of person, yay, let's speak at a big conference. And then I kind of like need recharging time for a day or two to really say, wow, okay. And, And so I'm always trying to look for opportunities to actually not have to do as much of kind of interaction all the time and so one way that i found extremely useful is to have mm. extroverts around me who take my ideas so if i go to an event i talk mm. with the host first and say hey look like this is the serendipity mindset just in case you're excited and a lot of times people like then talk about that idea because it's a nice excuse for them to actually talk about something different that they usually talk about with people mm. when they're hosting something, right and so it's really about saying how do you have experts around you whom you can seed an idea with and then they can run with it. So that's one. And I've seen that with, with companies, right. When I, like one of my clients is an insurance company and they, you know, when they go into a new school where they want to sell insurance to a couple of people, they just meet a couple of multipliers at the beginning and they just see the idea and then they see them walk around, right. And say, Oh my God, have you connected with this person? And that's also more credible anyways, because they are more credible with with their people than than we could ever be. So mm-hmm. first step really is kind of, leveraging experts second is really about how do we at the end of the day you know a lot of times serenity comes from silent sources from calm sources from reading Mm -hmm. a book or you know taking another street to work seeing a Mm -hmm. book in the bookstore and thinking oh my god people haven't talked about this for a while i should do a podcast about this Mm -hmm. so really kind of these silent sources and then the third one there's a huge space for introverts actually who complement extroverts especially in relationships or in teams right you need that kind of extrovert person going out there but then the introvert who reflects with them and makes sense with them so they help imbue meaning in their interactions a lot of times and so it's really kind of also the complementarity Mm.
0: actually when when you were saying that i was thinking of you know um it's like the introvert has got the spark and you're lighting extrovert candles so people can see the light it's spreading it out that way yeah Mm. but it, it does show that there's more than just sort of you know learning a trick it's quite a complex thing the learning be hard enough to grasp let alone master it in any way and those exercises are great but i was wondering whether there are other training media you use for example you could have a snakes and ladders type of game experience built around serendipity training a computer game that combines chance with the freedom to think up creative responses might this new metaverse that facebook and other people are talking about um, offer a playing field for serendipity training how else can one
1: teach it Any ideas? i mean 100% <laughs> Len, and i think you, you touched on two really important points there. first is the whole kind of new technology sphere especially also around artificial intelligence is opening up so much potentiality for serendipity in a kind of like you know way where we we maximize positive potential encounters but then also as humans we imbue meaning so it's kind of the interaction <laughs> between the human and, and, and the machine in a way that, that kind of makes it really exciting. So that's, I think, a whole track for itself. And then the second is really around saying, hey, at the end of the day, what are simple practices we can do? It's not about mm-hmm. saying, I don't know, I have a company and I'm now changing everything that works in a company. People are mm-hmm. resistant to change individually and as a company, so that usually doesn't work, right? So what works mm-hmm. better is saying, what is an existing thing like a performance review? And then instead of asking just the kind of standard questions, we bring in one or two other questions what surprised you in the last weeks? Was there anything that surprised you that questions our assumptions? Then people might say, yeah, you know what? I didn't expect them to wash their potatoes on a washing machine. And so you bring up, you surface, you surface mm. these kind of things then where people say, oh, I'm allowed to question assumptions. I'm allowed to say our strategy wasn't perfect. And that mm. is actually the best way to innovate across the organization. And so I'm a big fan of simple questions like this, you know, even in weekly team meetings to say, hey, Was there anything surprising last week? Anything, did our customers use our product slightly differently than we assumed they would? Uh, Or Mm. did anything, you know, surprise in in any other way? And so I think it's those simple things, if we build them in, we give people the license to talk about these unexpected things and to think, oh my God, I'm not only validated, but also we Mm. can really innovate in this.
0: Mm. Yes, (laughs) there's already so much potential in the book. I'm going to say, thank you very much, Dr. Christian Bush, for speaking with me. And let's hope that in the coming years, we'll see the global rise of the serendipity mindset. The world needs it.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much, Lyle. I appreciate it.